Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, everyone. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. It is June 29th, 2020. This is episode 96 with the Beavis and Butthead Collector, aka Mr. Sean Beard, who lives up near Buffalo and Rochester. We connected at the Aquabat show with Cuckoo Kangaroo last year. And uh, he tagged me in a post, and then I started following him, and I was like, this dude is dope. So, yeah, Beavis and Butthead Collector on Instagram. And Sean Beard also plays in a noise band called Waves Crashing Piano Chords, which is an incredible, strange, awesome noise project. And he dresses up. I saw on YouTube he puts face paint on, like Violin J from ICP. And um, the song we're going to hear at the end of this is his song, I Like You Better. But Sean is an interesting guy, and... As the summer is in full swing, I was thinking about memories of, as a kid, up at Tahoe, when my parents were sleeping, I know they listen to this podcast, so they're going to know I used to do this, I would sneak downstairs and put on MTV and watch Beavis and Butthead at like 1, 2 in the morning with the sound as low as possible, because I wasn't allowed to watch Beavis and Butthead, but um, I have memories, This is I associate the summer with that up at Lake Tahoe. And Beavis and Butthead introduced me to so many bands that changed my life. King Missile, Ween, uh, Dead Milkman, MC 900 Foot Jesus. And I've actually had two artists on this podcast who have been on um, Beavis and Butthead, uh, Joe and Rodney from the Dead Milkman and John from King Missile. Anyway, I like this episode because Sean and I really hit it off. I mean, he's such a huge fan of Beavis and Butthead, obviously, and I ask him so many questions, and like an encyclopedia, he drops so much freaking knowledge so quick. Like, what's your favorite episode? Oh, this one from this year, and this happened, and that happened. He actually, I saw on Instagram, he became friends with the kid who unfortunately burned down the trailer park that killed his sister, and then Beavis and Butthead were blamed for that. They couldn't say fire anymore, and so he has an essay kind of about that, but he goes deep with it. He's he's in touch with Mike Judge. He runs the Beavis and Butthead Do MySpace Facebook group, which has got all the Beavis and Butthead episodes. Um, Sean also has a podcast he's starting called Sean Beard's Late Night Morning Wood, and the first interview he's doing is with the head writer, Christopher Brown, and that's coming up in a few weeks. It's actually a video show, and he's doing it like Space Ghost. So check that out. Also, check out the King Turd Collection. Google that on Reddit, the unedited Beavis and Butthead episodes. It seems like talking to him, there's always been this problem with releasing Beavis and Butthead because there's so much intellectual property with the music, and MTV had a proprietary license to play that stuff, but not to release it. So a lot of the uh, DVD and Blu-ray compilations don't have the music video. Some of them do. Actually, the only thing that came out on Blu-ray was the 2011 season, which was the final season, which we talk about. So peep the King Turd collection, which he was part of. And um, yeah, I want to shout out the uh, Patreon Larsons for keeping this podcast going. And it also helps with, you know, it covers my cost to make the songs, the music videos. Uh, shout out to the new ones, Rachel Graham, who upped his pledge, and Grant. And shout out to the old ones, Isaac, Tommy, and Brian. And so let me talk to you about what's going on. So I have like a routine of what I'm releasing. Monday, obviously, is the podcast on Tuesday, I do a new 27th Street. Wednesday, I'm dropping a music video. Thursday, I do the Throwback Thursday. It's old stuff. Friday is Freestyle Friday. Saturday is a day when I just work on content and kind of unplug. And then Sunday, I do Sunday Switch Day. Yesterday, we played Mario Odyssey, and I beat the level right before the Moon Kingdom where uh, Bowser's about to marry the princess, and Mario's going to stop it. So tune in next week for that. Oh, yeah. 
We are going to get into it now. This is this week's letter to Atlas. Is he sleeping? Is he pooping? Just chicken in. How's a little boy doing? These are some messages that you left. Wishing our little baby boy the best. Now it's time for letters to Atlas. Please leave a message after the tone. This is probably the first. I'm hoping, hoping the first message that Atlas has received from uh, the former capital of Britain, Oxford. And uh, I would like to extend all of Oxford's congratulations to Atlas on his birth in somewhere called Missoula, Montana, which I had to look up where that was this morning. Be well. Godspeed. Thank you, homie in Oxford. I recognize the 01865 area code. If you want to leave a message for our baby boy, the Google Voice number is 510-463-4237. That's 510-463-4237. He turned two months yesterday, and uh, we love him. He's doing great. So you can leave a letter to Atlas for a future podcast. Oh, yeah. The last thing is um, what I thought was really profound about this episode is Sean talking about how something he loved in childhood, i.e. Beavis and Butthead, how that's brought him a community and a lot of peace and connection as an adult. And I think that's a beautiful thing with media and fandom and nerd culture. The goal of this podcast is connecting people and finding communities through the nerdy fun things we're into. Like I'm so into storytelling, humanities, popular culture, right? And so Sean talks about how the things he loved has helped him connect with the people in his life and how loving Beavis and Butthead as a kid, he got a lot of crap for it. Um, so that was kind of a cool note for him to end on. Um, also I talk about it. I talk about how he's an influencer and I try to give him like tax advice on how to deduct his costs. Cause he says in the podcast that he spent over $50,000 on his Beavis and Butthead stuff. And I'm like, dude, you should deduct that. He's like, nah, whatever. But I go into like a long business thing about starting an LLC. Let me explain that. If you have a some sort of way you monetize your brand online, even if it's not a lot, and you have a lot of expenses that go towards building that brand, you can create an LLC, which this might be kind of insider baseball and I'll keep it brief, but you can then treat your business entity as a corporation and deduct a lot of things and then you don't have to pay as many taxes. It's still legal. It's like a way to do it. So I try to talk to Sean about that. I don't know if he was trying to hear it or he cared or it was just kind of like boring, but um, yeah, LLC, tax advice, holler. Get your business popping for all you influencers out there. Okay, so let's get into it. This is my interview with Sean Beard, a.k.a. Waves Crashing Piano Chords, a.k.a. Beavis and Butted Collector. Give him a follow on Instagram. You won't be disappointed. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with the Beavis and Butthead collector, Sean Beard. Sean, what do you go by? They know me as Sean Beard. I, I guess I'm known for a few things besides the Beavis and Butthead collecting. You are a noise musician. You were saying you you have experience with audio. So ta- let's talk about that. When did you start making noise music? Oh, man. Um, realistically, probably like the year 2000. It's kind of a, a funny story because I... Uh, Joined like a new metal cover band, as was the thing to do back then. And um, I didn't really have any talent. And uh, all those bands back then had that like, you know, seventh or eighth member who just had a sampler. Right. And uh, 
I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even know it was for making beats or anything. So I just like saved up money and I bought a sampler. It had like a zip drive in it. And uh, then I kind of did my research. I'm like, so what is this guy even doing in these bands? <laughs> and then I started like making weird noises and adding them to like, uh, you know, like Godsmack covers or whatever those guys were into. <laughs> and, uh, right. And of course, that wasn't really fulfilling because it wasn't really what I was into. And But I kept making weird noises and around 2005 it uh actually turned into a live show more and yeah yeah did you ever tour with it yeah yeah i toured a little bit Not, nothing i got a lot of offers to go to i got i got offered to go to japan australia texas you know all, all over but I, I never went too far with it because uh the live show i did it was kind of confrontational as in i would like physically assault the crowd and usually get hurt and hurt other you know it was one of those uh radical stupid things so I never wanted to go too far from my comfort zone because I'm realistic and, you know, I don't want to be in Japan where there's a language barrier and I get stabbed during my set and I have, you know, who the hell do I call? You know, I'm just, I'm just kind of a right. dork doing it, you know? So, uh, I got offered, I did, I did go, I've been to Michigan as far as that, uh, quite a few States and whatnot. It has a following, but. Yeah, I don't know. There was just too much of a risk factor to ever go through with it that far. Waves Crashing Piano Chords is the name of it. That's the last uh, record. I, I know that record. There's like no information on it but the title. But you released it on 8-track, right? Or on a uh, reel-to-reel. Reel-to-reel. And that's the discography uh, because I just retired it last April. I did it since 2005 and I got too old to keep doing it or something like that. But um, yeah, I released the discography on reel, on 8-track. I, I ran a label for years hate track stereo ha and uh released a lot of artists on a track and stuff i've always been kind of a nerd for the a track format so i would refurbish people's or no i would refurbish old a track because even back when they released them they were like a, they're a bad format <laughs> you know uh even when they were new um so i would kind of refurbish them and make them better than they probably even were initially and then i you know released mainly at first noise artists on them, but then I released like some psychedelic rock band from Indonesia and that got into the Indonesian Rolling Stone. My label did and stuff. So <laughs> it's kind of cool. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lo-fi renderings of noise music sound better, I'm sure, than like perfect binary quality, right? Yeah, I mean, if you like master your noise album, you're probably just like, you should probably just stop. <laughs> Kind of just like missing the point, I guess. <laughs> well, so you were at the show I did with the Aquabats last fall, yes. right? Yeah. And what, what was the venue? It was in Buffalo, right? There's so many yeah. uh, defunct places now. I played the icon with Bowling for Soup years ago. It was called the Town Ballroom. I, I Googled it. Back in the day, that's the one you'd like go to the least. You know what I mean? And now it's like the only one left. Because <laughs> there was Memorial Auditorium is gone right that was gone years ago pretty sure i mean there was the continental which was my favorite back then uh, mohawk place came back if you're familiar with mohawk place oh yeah yeah that's kind of like it'll close and come back but i hear they still have a cigarette machine so that's kind of fun i played there with with mc chris probably eight years ago maybe six years ago yeah mohawk that's awesome dude where'd you grow up i grew up in uh silver springs Warsaw, new york it's near lecture state park but it, it, podunk town it's about an hour 10 minutes from buffalo out with all the cornfields and stuff you know 
Oh, right, right. Yeah. So Buffalo was the biggest metropolis. Yeah, and you didn't even go there. You'd go to like Rochester or Henrietta, you know. It's, it's, it's right. you know. Once I like got to the age where I was going to shows and stuff, yeah, you'd go to Buffalo, you know, get someone yeah. to give you a ride. And hope that it's not too snowy, right, that you can make it. There were so many blizzards you'd go through, and you just wouldn't even think about it. Um, but apparently everyone else did because you'd see like a pretty well-known band with like 15 other people because you're the only other one dumb enough to like show up. <laughs> and, and those are some of my favorite like show stories though is, you know, that intimate of a setting. The bands were probably disappointed. What was the biggest show, the biggest band you saw with the least amount of people that was caused by a snow event? Remember that band Lamb of God? I saw them to probably like 15 people because of a blizzard. This was wow. probably like 2001 or something like that. I, uh, all my best friends are metalheads. You get yeah. that reference, I'm sure. So, <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just me being in the new metal band, it's like, this isn't really my thing, but like, you guys need an extra member. So I've never been much of a metalhead, but I've seen so many metal shows. And um, it's funny, it's like, I, I can tell I'm getting old when I tell people I saw a certain show and they're like, you saw that? <laughs> Did you ever see Nirvana? I was born in 87. You would have been eight when he committed suicide. No, I would have been like seven, like six or seven. I remember the year it happened, my cousin put a like Kurt Cobain, like death poster on his wall or something. Not a day, you know, I had his birthday and death day. I, I didn't get it into grunge or any of that stuff. So I was kind of, yeah. it was like the one thing I didn't admire about the generation above me when I was that age. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why are all these kids so sad? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm sure. Okay, so let's get into it. So you were, would have been what? nine when you discovered beavis and butthead no no they they came out in 93 i was born in 87 so i would have been around the five six age range oh you were young you were oh i was very young and i and i got into it as soon as it happened did your parents mind no actually the story is my parents like split up for that year and my dad like moved in with one of his like friends he grew up with and um his name is ronnie henning and uh ronnie was pretty much uh, let me just set it up. You'd go into Ronnie's living room and it was a recliner, a TV, two bookshelves filled with big box VHS pornography yeah. and like and like three boxes of like Hustler. Hustler was like the real dirty magazine. Yeah. Just like boxes <laughs> of that in the corner. So I'm like five, six years old going to visit dad and I like go into this guy's house. I'm just like this guy rules, you know, because <laughs> at that age, that guy does rule. You don't like sit there and be like, man, what a loser. He's just like got a TV, a couch and beats off to porn. You're just like, this guy kicks ass. So <laughs> they were going to go like out doing something or whatever. Wait, you were six? No, I was six. And anyways, my dad and him were going to go do something. And Ronnie was like, oh, I'll put some cartoons on for him. And of course, Ronnie's idea of cartoons was Beavis and Butthead. So that was the uh, the first time I saw Beavis and Butthead was at Ronnie's house. And uh, it scared me because they're, they're drawn so, like, especially in the early episodes. Like, Beavis yeah. kind of looked like a, like a raptor, I felt at that age. It's almost like dinosaur looking. Right, and then right. Butthead's just like acid face caveman guy. But even though, even though it like scared the hell out of me, I just like I, I loved drawing as a kid, so I started obsessively drawing them, and um, you know, and then like you'd see it at people's houses, and you know, no one really had cable back then, you know, so until '95, I didn't see it regularly because we didn't get cable. But you remember, like the comic books came out, and like they came out with that right. album uh, with Cher on it and stuff. 
And right. I had all that because I was just instantly connected to those characters. It just, I don't know, it got me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then around 94, I remember we went to a comic book shop about a half hour away. It was like a comic book trading card shop. Real cool place. Stuff like that doesn't exist around here anymore, that's for sure. And they had packs of the Beavis and Butthead cards. And ah. Yes. And my grandma being awesome, instead of like getting me a pack, the guy was like, I have the whole set. So she bought that, and that started the obsession. Um, all the episode cards. Remember how cards back then, it'd have like, the if for TV shows, it'd have like the episode and then the, the description of it on the back, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And like a scene from an episode. Exactly. And then full description yeah. on the back and stuff. And they did that. Um, but at that point, 1994, like 50% of those episodes were already banned or edited and definitely not re-airing. So I had all these cards <laughs> with all this information and I couldn't see any right. of these episodes. So I'm just like, I think that spawned the obsession that much more is that I'm into it, but there's a big part of it that's not obtainable. And that's profound that's very profound something like that <laughs> and, and well it's interesting that they came into your life during a time your family was changing right yeah at I a guess very so. young age yeah you you would you were the age i was when i discovered roger rabbit which i have like a similar like love for and collecting i love roger rabbit yeah so you discovered okay so you discovered a lot of cool stuff at that age like media that was looked like kid friendly but Maybe it's not appropriate for a five-year-old. Like, Roger Rabbit is kind of scary, you know? <laughs> no, I even thought of that as a kid because the uh, the end scene, what, what's the bad guy's name in Roger Rabbit, dude? Judge Doom. Oh, my God. When his eyes popped out and he goes into that high-pitched voice, man, I remember it because I would keep watching the movie because I loved it. But when it got to that scene, I knew to fucking walk out of the room for a bit and I'd hear it from the other room, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he's trying to k- kill Eddie Valiant. Yeah. Plus, there's a lot of sexual humor. Um, that's one of my favorite movies of all time, actually. Did you know that they released, you know how, like, they had the uh, the black hole that they would, like, throw on the wall so you could almost, like, teleport? Yeah. Did you ever see yeah. they made toys where it's, like, the suction cups are black and it would come in twos so you could put, like, Roger Rabbit on his back half on one thing? You ever see those? Yeah, those yeah, those are cool. And so, or or the cab, so it looks like they're going through the wall. Yeah, dude, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are so cool. It's such creative toys. I love it. Well, Roger Rabbit was interesting because I feel a similar connection with it because it was so heavily late '80s. But because Spielberg and Disney had a feud, they stopped making them. Right? They made the the, the movie and then the three shorts, and then they stopped merchandising it and everything because of this copyright dispute. So it's like similarly. Like you're talking about the Beavis and Bud cards. Yeah. I'm intrigued by it because it's a finite amount of content instead of like the Simpsons, which is infinitely sprawling. Do you know what I mean? Very true. Yes. Very so, true. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. You have a very popular Instagram account and it's probably the definitive Beavis and Bud collectors Instagram account, but you also touch on South Park and other like 90s subversive cartoon culture how do you decide what makes it onto the instagram and what does it in my opinion early south park has a lot to do with beavis and butthead yeah when the show started up until the movie okay the 1999 movie the south park movie 
Yes. I think when South Park started, Terrence and Philip were Beavis and Butthead. Ah. Right down to the color scheme. Right. Uh, two two-dimensional characters, one-dimensional characters, really, just making fart jokes in front of a couch. And T and P on the shirts. Um, and then you go to the movie... And the kids go and see the Terrence and Philip movie, which leads to Kenny imitating a fire scene, which leads to him dying, which leads to the parents scapegoating and blaming the movie. Interesting. Then at the end of the movie, when Kenny gets the wish from Satan so that everything can go back to normal, he return, takes off his hood and he says goodbye, you guys. That's actually voiced by, by Mike Judge for those two words. That's pretty cool, though. I've forgotten that. When Beavis and Butthead stopped, oh my God, I was 10 and... You know, I went through a lot of, like, really bad stuff as a kid, and that was still one of the hardest moments, was when that uh, series finale ended, and those two walked off into the sunset together, and it said the end. I mean, that just was, like, so heartbreaking for me, because those two characters helped me get through my childhood. That was my escape. That was what made me happy. My mom would watch it with me. I, she would laugh so hard. It was nice to see her that happy. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, emotional connection with it. So when those characters left, and when they left, they were just gone, as I'm sure you remember. It's just like, series finale, boom. There weren't stores anymore. It's just, they're taken away. Why did they end it? Do you remember? Mike Judge wanted to. He wanted to... Do King of the Hill? He actually, in the contract for the movie, said, okay, I'll do the movie, but I'm only doing one more season instead of the three more seasons you want. You know so much, dude. It's awesome. (laughs) I, I think he was done with the characters because they really, Mike Judge was kind of nobody and they picked up Beavis and Butthead. They bought it for him for like, they bought the character rights for like, I think $5,000, I think it was. Whoa. Sometimes he jokes 500 And then he pretty much made the right choice of staying on and voicing them, which, you know, they didn't even want him to do that at first, apparently. Then the show took off like crazy, but they completely rushed it into production. If you watch those first three episodes that aired... Like Frog Baseball? Was that one of the first? No, that would have been the Liquid Television premiere. So that's something he worked on his own in 91. It got picked up in 92. And then when they made him do the show, those first three episodes, which it was 27 years ago, what was it, yesterday or two days ago was the anniversary. Um, It was Blood Drive and Door to Door. And they are so... They are bad. They're really not good. Right. It, it is amazing that people saw them. But I think at that point, them doing the music video commentary struck a chord with people more than the animated segments. Yeah. And Mike Judge really wasn't too into doing these music videos. You can kind of pick up from interviews. But it also was a necessity because they're like, okay, we're doing the characters. We need episodes. Just write anything. We'll just make it. Through doing all the music video commentary, he more or less developed the characters in that first, like, six months. Beavis literally only said, yeah, <laughs> for, like, 30 episodes. Right. To, to being, really, honestly, the more outspoken character by the time the show was really, uh, you know, Cornholio. Right. Stuff like that. I mean, you know, the early episodes, Beavis would just be like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, that's it. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and I'm sure doing the music video commentary allowed them to have, like is kind of what you're saying, have twice as many episodes for half as much work, right? Yeah, because in re- reality, the the uh, cartoon segment was like a three-minute episode broken up like three times by these four-minute music video parts. So, And that would be a half hour? Yeah, yeah. They would just do two episodes, but each of those are really like three to four minutes, and then the rest of that is all the music video commentary. 
And you can tell by like 96. No, really you can tell by 94, but by like 95, 96, the, the episodes themselves started being written really good. That, that's what it's really known for is that era of the show, you know, when they're calling Harry Sachs and prank calling on. Right. It, it just in the early, early ones, they really weren't even charming. Butthead was just a bad person and Beavis just said, yeah. And like, you know, they did a lot of uh, really crazy stuff in the in the crude era, as the fans have deemed it. Um, they go to Mexico. They smuggle uh, pills and condoms. They blow up the neighbor kid's house, inhaling fumes from his stove. Um, and then, like, they got in so much trouble with it. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the controversy with the kid burning down his, his trailer and stuff. What episode inspired that? They say it's the episode Comedians, which is episode one of season three. They go to a comedy club. Beavis goes to juggle burning newspapers, and he just burns the place down. And right. they stand outside watching it burn down, being like, we should be on TV. But there were a lot of episodes before that that, that stirred up some new segments that are still available on YouTube. Go on YouTube, type in Beavis Tom Brokaw, and it's the only video that should be on YouTube, in my opinion. It's perfect. That's it's all YouTube was made for was to preserve this eight minute <laughs> news segment <laughs> about the death of the kid. Yeah, about a few of the kids. Um, but the one in Moraine, Ohio, Austin Messner, um, he's the one that really he, he burnt his trailer down. He was five. His two year old sister died in it. And the mom blamed the show. And that's when they just flat out were like, we need to edit all of the fire scenes out. Mm-hmm. We need to completely revamp what these characters are. And uh, I give her Darcy. I, I give her a lot of credit for saving the show because I like the way it started out. It captured, especially growing up in a town like I did, it captured those two kids who you don't want to run into when you're walking around your small town. Right. You know, they'll be like, you want to throw rocks at dogs, you know, or something fucked up like that. You're just like the real scary kids. Right. And I appreciate that about the crude era because no one has really realistically captured those kind of kids since and tried to make it humorous. Um, But through the censorship and all that, I think when the show got revamped and they really made them two wannabes who were charmingly, you know, just ignorant and stupidly ugly confident you know and right i think that's why we love beavis and butthead then they're relatable then there's a redeeming quality there's a lot of justification they'll burn a place down but they won't even get why it happened afterwards whereas in the first episodes they would just burn a place down they're kind of mean they were they were very mean-spirited um and as the show went on butthead is truly only mean-spirited towards beavis (laughs) you know like going back to the music video thing, the commentary is very sharp and funny and like watch going back and watching it. Now it's interesting that they picked really hip kind of controversial cutting edge underground stuff that MTV wasn't really showing. So like you talked about your independent label and like being a, having international audience, people like you and me learned about this whole underground world that absolutely we didn't know about right and like king missile that's my favorite band that found out through beavis and butthead that song made it on the radio and i know it's just because beavis and butthead watched it they made so many bands guar especially like they made so many bands huge 100 percent um that that is really interesting because uh i i have read interviews with people at mtv who are pretty much like 
we would get so many music videos sent to us that we had like pretty much a room dedicated to videos that we just weren't going to ever even view, let alone use. Right. And then Beavis and Butthead came into play and it was like, open up the broom closet. Let's see what some of those fucking fit. Cause remember <laughs> plant man or uh Saget funk that funk that right before you, memes were a thing. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you could find it. It felt like you were finding everything that existed that was not going to make it on TV otherwise back then. That's for sure. Right. And it, through the context of it, they, even when they hated something, it promoted it. Some of my favorite stuff I found they hated. Like what? Well, for example, what? Plant Man. <laughs> um, right. What, what was that one chick that did I Kissed a Girl like 20 years before Katy Perry? Jill Sabule. You even pronounced it right? <laughs> Shit, man. I love you. Was she on there? Hell yeah. And it was I Kissed a Girl. Fabio was in the video. <laughs> They called him Harry Bohemoth. <laughs> <laughs> she actually did a chorus on Megaran in my last album. Gulliver's Travel Song. That's her. So that's kind of tight. Get out of here. Yeah, that's tight. She's, she came in studio and sang it. <laughs> really sweet. <laughs> that's how you do how to pronounce her name, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And it would never would have happened without Beavis and Butt. No, exactly. <laughs> well, we wouldn't have met. Um, I'm sure bands got more sh- people to their shows during this time because they, there wasn't like they could use Spotify or facebook to get awareness right i'm sure like there's data that proves having a song on beavis abided even if they hated it turned your tours into successes yeah rob zombie still credits his entire career to it that's awesome and i mean that's rob zombie you know he's not punk rock (laughs) i know well he did the segment for um the movie right the uh where they're tripping in the desert right he directed that yes which i did not get as a kid because I, I was nine. I didn't get that he took a bite of the peyote. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't even make sense to me. But yeah, he, he did that whole segment. So it came back for one more season, what, in 2011? It was one month. <laughs> Why do you think it didn't come back as hard? It, it did, actually. Um, oh. It was the second highest rated show behind Jersey Shore. But uh, the people at Viacom pretty much said... The target demographic is 11-year-old girls, and the demographic that is tuning in for Beavis and Butthead is tuning out right afterwards. They tried putting that show on after where the kids are at spring break in the 90s or something, and yeah. you know they, they tried pandering to us, and they just kind of get us to stick around, you know? MTV's demographics had changed. Exactly. They do every six years, if you realistically. Could it have existed like on Comedy Central or something, or is it just... The best thing that could happen... For the boys is Adult Swim. Oh, right. Um, now it's on Pluto. Um, and I'm sure that's because Pluto being a free service on Roku or whatever it is. I'm sure it's getting exposure. And the music videos aren't in, which I don't think will ever happen in reruns. I don't. That That is where MTV is a necessity. And even that, I don't think it could happen too much nowadays. Because they have the license. Yes. But yeah. Adult Swim, I think, makes perfect sense. Because Beavis and Butthead kind of uh, set the ground for short episodes that end abruptly. Right. And Adult Swim picked up on that really Aqua Teen Hunger Force, you name it, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't think King of the Hill or Family Guy would be as infamous as they are or have had the comeback they did without Adult Swim. Right. That's true. Um, is Mike Judge still passionate about doing it or does he feel like it's kind of played out? He says it's his two favorite it's his two favorite creations. I think that's why he's so protective of it. Uh. That's why there's 85 episodes we're never going to get on DVD. That's why there's only 30 of the music videos out of the what, 1000 
or better. Um, he wants it preserved for its best. Interesting. And those those first the crude era isn't the best of the show. It's for people like us, you know. And um, myself, I put myself low on this bar, but the King Turd Collection is a fan preservation project that's been going on now for maybe two decades. Just a couple of dudes online from all over getting home recordings from eBay and uh, finding all those band episodes and getting the fire references and all those music videos. And um, if you go on torrents, if those are even still a thing, it's like 78 gigabytes. Ah. So it is all there, but it's all, it's all thanks to fans. And I kind of agree with them that that's how it should be. I wouldn't want a kid going out now who's into Family Guy and Rick and Morty picking up a Beavis and Butthead DVD and having to wait 85 episodes before it gets to what it to when it's really good. So this King Turd collection, they find the best versions. Do they update it when they get a higher resolution of something rare? Yeah, the last time we released it was a few years ago now. We pretty much have, we found a lot more sense. Um, we want to put it on like Blu-ray quality. But the thing is, some of those episodes, being on a Blu-ray or not, you're going to tell that they're VHS rips. And right. when there's certain episodes that made it to DVD, but the fire scenes are missing, when you're watching on the King Turd collection, it goes from DVD quality to all of a sudden a VHS rip of Beavis flicking a lighter. But I mean, it gives it a little charm because there's a lot of history. And I, I think that's a lot of why I'm so obsessed with it. So you, people listening can just suit, look for it on Reddit. Is that the newest one you know of? If it's the V.2 or whatever. And if you YouTube King Turd Collection, a preview we made comes up and it's kind of like gives you the gist, the fire scenes, the music videos, all the TV appearances. So you were involved in this? I was more involved with it when I was like 16. Um, uh-huh. Like when I had just finally gotten on a computer and on the internet, you know, you'd uh, hook up a VCR to your compact Rosario and get the stuff on there. Some of my rips still exist, but... As far as that updated version, I doubt anything that I found is on it because it's all been updated since, you know. But you helped start it. Yeah, as part of it, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode? Can I pick two? Yeah. My favorite, as in the one that made me laugh the hardest as a kid, and probably the first time I ever laughed that hard. You know that, like, you're a kid and it's, like, midnight for some reason, you're sleep-deprived and, like, you're laughing at anything? Right. It was like that times 10 when Beavis cuts his finger off in Woodshop, Woodshop. Okay. Uh, that resonated so hard. <laughs> and they're in Woodshop and there's the, uh, the table saw and the t- teacher's not paying attention and they're like running the phone through it. Um, just any, a- everything you wish you could do <laughs> at that age. Right. And that Beavis gets so fixated on the idea that he's just like looking at the, uh, the saw going and all of a sudden he just puts his finger through it <laughs> just assessed it yeah it's a, it's exactly how it would happen to it just kind of like rolls over on the table there's a <laughs> it's like not cartoony <laughs> and it gets sewed back on obviously yeah yeah and then he's picking his nose with it and it comes out you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like have you seen uhf UHF is that some wrestling stuff? No, it's Weird Al's movie from the eighties. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, when I was too young to really recall, yes, yeah. The host cuts his finger off. It's like that, but he doesn't react, which is why it's funny. He keeps doing the show. They kind of brought it back in the King of the Hill episode. There's one where Dale cuts his finger off the same way. Then what's the other episode? What's it called? Skin Trade. 
which is one that's not on any of the DVDs, so I'd imagine most oh. people might not have seen it. They're at a junkyard, and uh, Beavis finds, like, a dead animal. You can't even really tell what it is. I think it maybe it's like a squirrel. Yeah. It's, like, already rotted and everything, and they decide to try and sell its fur. First stop, they go to the, uh, the quick mark and try to trade it for some nachos. And the guy just gives them the nachos so they'll like take the get rid of the animal, <laughs> you know. So then Beavis decides that it's lucky, and you can tell over the episode that Beavis starts like having a bond with this dead animal. But what's amazing about this episode is that it's so morbid, but it's probably the most touching, right? Because I, I look at these characters a little deeper than most. Probably like I see kind of the sadness and that they have nothing, yeah, but they also are too dumb to question it, right? You know, and. This is like Beavis's equivalent of having a pet is walking around with this dead animal. Yeah. And anyway, they try selling its fur and whatnot. And there's one really touching moment where Beavis like freaks out on the fur salesman and Butthead opens the door for Beavis. <laughs> it kind of just like lets him walk out while he's freaking out. And Butthead is never nice to Beavis. Right. And it's, it's one of those, uh, one of those moments that really like shows how much of a like domestic relationship they kind of have. They kind of are a couple. Right, right. Like, if Beavis ever gets too wise, Butthead is going to strike him down. Right. But if Beavis is being wise but making an ass of himself to other people, Butthead is going to hold the door open for him. <laughs> right, 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 right. So it's like, tell something um, special about their relationship. Yes, and, and that makes that my favorite episode, yeah. I remember there was the, um, what was it, The History of Beavis and Butthead was a DVD collection I got on eBay like 15 years ago for a lot of money. And I sold, oh, wow. I, bought it. I sold it for a lot more than I paid for. Have you heard of this collection? I have the VHS, of course. Is that pretty rare still? Uh, it came out in 2001. It was recalled the day it came out. So uh, in the early 2000s, Mike Judge ended up getting some of the rights to Beavis and Butthead back. Okay. And that is about when the logo changes. So the Mike Judge collection wasn't out yet. Really what the history of is is a compilation of four VHS tapes that were only released outside of America. Oh, so you had the original VHS? Yes, but then, so they put it in stores. Mike Judge found out because it's a compilation of, and when I talk about how bad those first few episodes were, if you watched it, those were those first few episodes. Right. Uh, really poorly drawn, voices way off. They kind of like don't go anywhere. Um and Mike Chud, like, he did not want those released. So that was recalled from shelves the day it hit shelves. The VHS I have of it, um, do you remember back in the day, the store would get sent screener copies so that they could play it over the TV monitors? Yeah. So the VHS is just that. It wasn't for retail. So that was just, there's probably way less of those than the DVD. Wow. So that's worth a lot. Yeah, to me. I mean, no one else cares about this crap, dude. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't resell this shit for what I paid for it, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, so I remember that was like the first time it was on DVD, though, before the Mike Judge collection. It probably felt that way, but there were two DVDs that came out before that in limited releases. They were just repressings of two of the VHS tapes that were already out. The one for Christmas... And the one for Final Judgment, which had Cornholio on it. This history, Beavis and Butthead, then, does that, did that become part of the King Turd collection? Like We did use that, absolutely, because uh, some of the episodes on that were only VHS rips from home recordings up until that point. It's on eBay for like 300 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> that, that, that one holds its value. I mean, how many years has that been? Almost 20 years, and that's still selling for hotcakes. So. When I sold it, some it was 
someone in France bought it on eBay from me. And I was like, interesting. These guys. I hope they have region coding. (laughs) You have a cool thing on your Instagram, which is a shirt that you printed of the, all the character positions from the handheld game that got recalled. Talk about that. Was it Tiger? Yeah, Tiger Handhelds. Yeah. We all remember them who were there. Uh, one was released in 1994 for the boys. I remember when you'd get the VHS tapes, it had like a two-page catalog of merchandise you could find, and that was in there. Yeah. Um, dude, I begged my mom to like take me to the city. You know, like, we got to find this because it wasn't, it wasn't out here, and you didn't assume it would be. We went to like every store that we could, and nobody had it. And... It was just like the one thing that was unobtainable even as a kid. So go years and years and years and years later, probably like to 2013, one actually popped up like just a loose one on eBay. And I'm like, holy shit, they really did make them. And did you so get then it? it became, oh yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The goal became to find one sealed because they must've, you know, they must've made them in packaging if I got the loose one. Um, God, it was actually an awesome story. It was, it was like years and years of waiting. And then one popped up in its packaging, but it was like beat to shit. And I got it for like $150, which was like way stupid because nobody even knew that this was rare at the time. It was just like squished. Do you remember like what the packaging for those was like? It was the type that you had to cut open with scissors. Right, right. I'm looking now. Yeah. And they would hang like the J card. It's like the packaging scissors come in that you can't open because you're buying scissors. <laughs> It was like ripped up or what? Yeah, it was like so beat up and everything. But at least I finally knew what it looked like, you know? Right. Um, So I get that and I'm all stoked and it comes in the mail. And it comes in the mail and like an hour later I check eBay and there's one brand new. Like it's the packaging and it hasn't even been opened for 10 bucks. What? And I'm like, no way. So I got two two copies in packaging in a week after – I don't know. I guess two decades, probably. Really, <laughs> think about it. Was man. it buy it now for ten bucks, or that was like the lowest? Yeah, dude. Rate? Really? And the, the person could have like looked at the sold listing from a few days prior and been like, "Oh, it's it's worth one hundred and fifty. So then, over the time, let's see, they've been popping up because pretty much my goal is, and I will admit it, I I hyped the shit out of the Tiger handheld. It was my. <laughs> what would you call it? My Holy grail of collecting. Right. And I feel like it has a lot of history to it because they tried to put Beavis and Butthead on a children's handheld video game. And it's a talking, like there's only two tiger hand tiger handhelds that talk. And this is one of two. And of course it says like dumbass, asswipe and dillweed. What's the other That's one? An, um, uh, it's either turtles or, no, it's Turtles. Okay. It's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, of course of course, it was recalled for those reasons, you know. Um, I ended up finding one last year, another sealed one. Bought it from a dude. Um, and he had a story. He had held on to it since he worked at uh, Toys R Us or Kmart back in the 90s. And pretty much his story was... We got the box in, and then we got the note that we had to return them, and I stole one. And I kept it, you know, so that I could make some money someday. And it was like the most pristine copy. I actually got a custom case built for it and wow. everything. Yeah. 
So anyway, in my opinion, that is the rarest Beavis and Butthead item that's licensed. So how did you um, get the logo of the screen that became the shirt? Oh, um, actually, it was pretty easy. In the instruction manual, uh, they always had a little uh, little mapped out key of it. Oh. But it's like a microscopical image. So he pretty much had to scan it and then, you know, like redraw it all. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so that one took no talent. <laughs> and that wait, so that where do people where can people find that? Is that, uh, is that limited Sean edition? Beard uh, the shirt? Yeah. Uh Seanbeard.threadless.com. Cool. Um I also have shirts for the noise project I did and the other one which is my original design of uh Beavis and Butthead is Cartman and Kenny. That's my own original drawing. And you send me a sticker, which I a few stickers that you drew that. Yeah, I'll send you the original pencil sketch. Actually, it might be on the Instagram. That's dope, man. Um, Thank you. Let's talk about the future of Beavis and Butthead. Do you think there'll be another movie or in anything that you can't reveal? Please, you can say I'll pass on that. But like, would you ever get a second one? No. Um, even though an interview came out last year from Mike Judge saying he is considering it and he wants to do it. And then he threw in a comment of how he can modernize it or something. I was like, I don't know, dude. Um, I am content with Beavis and Butthead being done at this point in my life. Yeah. I like that. I like it that the show is done, but they still make appearances. Like they did the intro for Pedro the Lion last year at their concerts. Right. And it's like a, a Pedro the Lion music video and they're doing their commentary. Um, when you know these characters as well as I do, they are very predictable. Uh, that is almost the joke, is that they are so predictable. They repeat the same joke over and over again, and they still think it's funny. Right. Um, people say there needs to be a Do America 2. Isn't it amazing enough that there's a great hour and a half movie of these two one-note jokes, and it's flawless? Right. Like, you really expect another one, and it's going to be good? Yeah. Uh, right. But don't get me wrong. I want it. If it happens, I want it. I'm going to be all for it. I think I just accepted a long time ago. Fair enough. And um, the TV show, probably when that came back, what, eight years ago, nine years ago now, that was super exciting, huh? I cried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, that, when, that, when it like aired and the, the song started and I heard those laughs, I like, I literally had the thought in my head, I'm so glad I didn't die yet. Because <laughs> back then I was doing the noise thing and my life was crazy and I could have died. I was being stupid and young. So that was one of those moments. That's amazing. It was like my daughter getting married or something. <laughs> <laughs> I have no kids, by the way. What was the series of events that brought, led them to bring it back temporarily? I think MTV was pushing it because they wanted them doing commentary on Jersey Shore and stuff like that. Right, right, right. And I think that was the weakest part of the comeback. Did you watch it? Yeah, and I remember like they did the uh, It's So Cold in the D, like YouTube Now stuff. that was awesome. Right. There's only like two episodes from that season where I'm like, oh, no, oh, what did you do? And then all the music videos are great. I love it when they'd watch Teen Mom. Right. But I didn't like the Jersey Shore stuff. I don't really watch Jersey Shore. I don't get the appeal. And I feel like that was very pandering to the 11-year-old girl demographic that MTV was hoping was going to tune in for this and grasp onto it, too. They were hoping it also would promote that show. It instantly dated it. Yeah. Some of the some of the best are in there and some of the worst. Right. Are those in the King Turd project? 
those were released on Blu-ray in full form with all the music videos. The movie has never been released on Blu-ray. The original series has never been released on Blu-ray, but the 2011 series was. The movie has never been on Blu-ray? Do you think it will be? I don't. Like, the 20th anniversary was in 2016, and the soundtrack got a picture disc vinyl release, but I don't think the, the studio even had that much. I don't. It didn't even say 20th anniversary or anything on it. I think it was just a coincidence. Wow. I actually, I rented out my local theater and did a screening for the... For the 20th anniversary, man, I celebrated. Yeah, and I had to use a DVD. <laughs> That's interesting. It took it took Roger Rabbit a long time to get Blu-ray, finally, and they added a bunch of stuff. It was worth it. Well, I actually have a VHS, which is almost guaranteed all the behind-the-scenes footage that would be put on a Blu-ray if they ever did. Ah. It's uh, it's something that was sent, uh, sent out to, from Geffen, or it was for Geffen, it's actually the only footage I've ever found of Mike Judge doing Cornholio, and you can see him doing it. Did you digitize it and put it online or not? Nah? Uh, I'm sure we'll put it on the King Turd collection the next time it gets uh, updated there. That's what's up. That's the one. I, I haven't come too public with that one because Mike Judge follows my page. He talks to me a bit here and there, and I'm surprised he hasn't bitched at me yet because I do borderline on some of the things he doesn't like done, but... That footage, I, I don't remember. I got it on eBay, and it's God. It's like forty-five minutes. It has the little old lady doing the voice recording for, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the sluts. You're right. Um, it has Isaac Hayes with his band. Wow. Writing the intro song, you know, a couple of mean guys. Yeah. You're figuring that out. Right. Um, it's pretty much everything you'd want, except there's nothing that shows anything to do with the animation. But I don't expect we'll ever get that because they were kind of just sending everything to Korea back in those days. So Interesting. Yeah. So do you have a favorite of Mike Judge's movies? I, th- I don't know. Some extracts captures white people better than King of the Hill. Okay. <laughs> Where uh, even at our meanest, we're like sugarcoating it. <laughs> and, right. Uh, I think what really blew my mind at the end of that movie, so they have a neighbor next door who keeps coming over saying like, aren't we going on that trip? And they keep sugarcoatingly saying no as most nice people would you know do or whatever and then at the end like all the everything boils up a divorce happening and the woman ends up running into him and she explains to that guy how the world views him which i always thought was so brilliant like you know those people that are so oblivious right um and she just sits there for like three minutes putting him into perspective for himself and i just remember my heart dropping like what will the response be? Cause I've done this to people before like that. And it just isn't one ear out the other. And you're like, Oh now I'm just a dick and they don't listen. But this guy has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea of if that person was truly confronted with themselves, they would just die. <laughs> and that made that my favorite like judge movie. So there's office space extract. What else? He's got the new show there um, about the computer nerds. Yeah. And um, the, the documentary. Huh. Idiocracy. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're You're right. That movie did predict quite a bit of things. Yeah. That is my least favorite, though, because I feel like it's the least Mike Judge like humor. I like his slice of life. Like, I'm a big cartoon guy, but I'm not into cartoons that are too cartoony. So are you a Ren and Stimpy fan? I think Ren and Stimpy's brilliant, but no. Yeah. I'm not really a fan of it. Yeah. I, I laugh when it's on, but it is truly cartoony. Right. Right. Um, 
I think the best cartoon that's happened since home movies is F is for Family, if that puts it into perspective for you how I am. Where can people stream <laughs> Beavis and Butthead now? They're airing all the DVD sets on Pluto okay. without the music videos. Right. And if you want to see all the episodes that weren't released on DVD without music videos, you can join Beavis and Butthead Do MySpace on Facebook, and that's my group. And I have all the episodes uploaded there for you to stream. Plus some music videos, anything that wouldn't get flagged, it's up there. You host them as videos in the group? Yes, it's a private group, so you have to join. You can't share them or anything. You go into the group and you go to the search bar and you type in full episode Sean Beard, and I think all 85 or so episodes pop right up. That's quite a service. With the videos? No. No, right, because that would get flagged? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But as we said earlier, some of those videos were so fucking obscure that you don't have to worry about it but you'd be surprised um, right i uploaded some and i'm like who the hell remembers that song that got flagged they just wasted two hours i mean it's a li- it's the first of its kind because it was the first to show like gen x youth right to have like yeah. to play with the line of taste beyond the simpsons the first to like the first big cartoon on mtv right probably the biggest cartoon mtv's ever had would you say is that yeah it is the biggest cartoon on mtv I, and i think um it portrayed humans as humans right down to the point of they were watching the same tv channel we were right and i think that is the connection that really scared parents with the characters back when that happened <laughs> that we are these kids I mean, you're sitting there and there's a show on with these two kids being like, and you look at your kid and your kid's like, and you're like, no way, buddy. (laughs) This shit needs to stop right now. My parents weren't a fan of fan of it. I had to sneak watching it. Yeah, they were not. They were not. And we had our TV time very limited. You know, we could only watch on the weekend. I do relate (laughs) to Stuart in a lot of ways. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) And Van Dreesen. My apartment is like Van Dreesen's house with Beavis and Butt. She had lava lamps and fucking eight tracks. (laughs) Whenever they were in a certain context, their shirts, what, said Skull and Death Rock? That's right. That was only on merchandising, yeah. Because they didn't want to have to pay Metallica and ACDC? Well, who the hell would want to pay Metallica for anything? Right. I'm sure ACDC and Metallica loved the... Free marketing, right? ACDC loved Beavis and Butthead. That's why there. I think there's two licensed ACDC shirts that were sold at their tours. Really? Um, yeah, they're badass too. And uh, back in '95, um, ACDC would open up their concert with uh, Beavis and Butthead trying to get into the VIP room, and um, Angus Young coming out or something like that. It's all animated. That's tight. Yeah, ACDC totally embraced it. And I'm a huge ACDC fan. I have, like, Beavis and Butthead tattoos all over me. And I put ACDC in Butthead shirt. I don't fuck with Metallica. That's not going on me. So they weren't feeling it. I think Metallica was feeling it, but they are just bad people. There's one licensed Metallica shirt. And I bet Metallica got all the money. (laughs) That's interesting. What was the connection to Guar? And why did that become, like, their darling? And why were they in the video game and everything? Like... I just figured it out kind of recently. So the crude era, there was an animator at the time in it, and he was only involved during that time. He was the guy who made Codename Kids Next Door. Codename Kids Next Door has an episode where Guar does all the music. Oh. So I think it is quite likely because, and I believe it is like the seventh episode, and we just discovered this a month ago, there are two frames where Butthead is wearing a Guar shirt. 
nobody has noticed this until like a freaking month ago. I just made a post about it. I don't think it was a Mike Judge thing so much. He's never embraced it. Guar is not on any of the DVD sets. Um, And one of my best friends, Justin Novak, actually works for Guar. He just moved into my small town very recently. We became really good friends. (laughs) I know. He's like, you abuse it, but I work for Guar. We're like, whoa, (laughs) you know? Um, And uh, I I asked him if he would ask them, like, because apparently Guar made the music for the game. Right. Well, he got back to me, the guitarist, the original guitar. I can't remember the name. I'm, not, I'm honestly not a Guar fan. Um, he made all the music for the Sega Genesis game, not the Super Nintendo, not the uh, Game Gear. But uh, I think it all comes down to the codename Kids Next Door guy, and then MTV liked the idea, and then they put it in the game. And after the game, they don't talk about Guar after that. They watch two music videos and that connection kind of like went away, but fans never forgot it. Like, I think everyone agrees. Guar is Beavis and Butthead's favorite band, except maybe Mike judge and me. Was it because it was easy to get the license and they wanted to be involved and they were like the kind of band they'd love. I think it made sense. And I also think Guar and metal blade records was like, yeah, of course. And that's probably made Guar huge. Yeah, because who was Guar before that? Um, did Empire Records come out before 1993? Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're in it for, like, a full scene. It's 95. Yeah, there you go. Beavis and Butt had put Guar on the map. One was Guar's Jerry Springer appearance with Gigi Allen. <laughs> right. You know, was, we can pretty much credit religion <laughs> to Beavis and Butt. <laughs> I remember when I was at summer camp, someone had the Scum Dogs of the Universe tape. This guy who's actually... That's pretty badass. He was the grandson of Shirley Temple, just randomly. This kid. No way! But he had this tape, and I remember he was saying, yeah, Guar, Guar really kill people. They have swords, and they're really from space. They walk down LA, and they kill people with swords. I was like, whoa, this band is scary, but like, wow. And I asked my dad, have you heard about this? He goes, no, that's not true. And I was like, all right. But it was like, the mythology of the band definitely eclipsed. Guar's good, and people might hate me on Twitter for this, but the only song I can really remember is Sick of You. Well, that is their only song, besides fucking an animal. I, I'm probably more of a Guar fan than I admit. I know, like, albums, I, I, I think they're fun and stuff, but at the end of the day, it's like, I think they suck, and I don't really like what they're doing too much either. <laughs> I like the spectacle that is Guar. I like the idea, uh, but their music kind of sucks. I'd go for Slipknot. Actually, I'll go for the Locust. Can we even compare them? Guar, like when I pl- we played the Gathering of the Juggalos, we got to watch from backstage how they did all their blood and production. It's pretty impressive. See, that's cool. That was tight. Yes. And if you're a special effects geek and I like all that stuff, latex costume, yeah. yeah. Guar, 100% rules. That's where they rule. Their stage show. Um, absolutely. And the way they do it and whatnot. And I've heard a lot about it from Justin and whatnot. It is impressive. But can they make... A two-liter bottle of Fago shoot 50 feet in the air? Probably not, dude. Probably not. <laughs> I wonder what Beavis would have thought of ICP, because it was definitely after them. I think Beavis would like it, and Butthead would slap the living bejesus out of him for liking it. Right. I'm a juggalo. I've been down since 97, so... Because wicked clowns never die, Lars. <laughs> have you Have you ever been to a gathering? I'm not the type of guy who wants to go into a yard for three days and yeah. shit. What is the most valuable thing you have? The tiger handheld or? Because I've hyped it up. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Because one sold for like 
a thousand recently or something. Wow. Thanks to you. Did you get a commission? And a loose one sold for like 650. That's ridiculous. Is a game fun or is it kind of like frustrating and boring and hard to play? Well, you remember those games. Yeah, it's frustrating and boring, but at least this one actually swears. Right. You know, so (laughs) for 94. I mean, it's a shame it got recalled because you would have been the coolest kid getting that taken from the teacher in 1994. Yeah. Teacher takes it and it's like, Dillweed. She's like, ha, ha, ha. The most valuable thing I have probably is either the international VHS set, which I think I'm, I think I'm probably, yeah, I am. I'm the only person that can still claim that has that because that's that hard to find because it's spread out through all these other countries. So all but four of the original episodes were released on VHS, Really, but it was all throughout other countries. Like we only got 10 of the tapes and then the UK got like maybe 13 and then Australia got six and the Australia ones came out in 2002 which VHS was more or less dead by that time those are so scarce until I found my copies they were just rumored to exist Ah. so what were the four episodes that weren't released I can guess why because they all have fire ones they all have no they're all gun related heroes incognito canoe which canoe, I don't know why that one. I think Van Driesen gets mauled by a bear, but I don't know. And then the uh, fourth one is cow tipping, oh, right. which, which isn't gun related, but they, they tip a cow. Right. Um, but I think the first two are gun related. I think that's why they never made it onto any home video release whatsoever. And even some of the ones that did make it on, they're, they're edited. You know, um, the one where they sniff paint thinner, that whole scene is missing. From the VHS? Yeah, well, I had those VHS tapes as a little kid, and I just remember certain episodes in them. It's like, man, that episode seems so unfinished. Right. You know, and then the internet comes out, and you find out, like, well, the reason they did that is because they snipped paint thinner, and it's like, and I, like, uh, relit the flame, you know? It's like, oh, my God, this show is so awesome, and there's so much missing. It's been a rewarding thing to reconnect with in your adult life. Apparently, when I become obsessed with something, I don't give up on it. I'm sure with your Instagram and with your online and the Facebook, you're meeting new people and learning from them, right? Yeah. I I mean, the biggest one, once I got on Instagram. That's fun. I discovered in 2000 and 2001, Japan released like a whole line of Beavis and Butthead merchandise from figures to dolls, over 20 dolls. And whereas every country released dolls almost, but it was just always them. Japan made them in their Burger World uniforms. They made them as cavemen. Wow. Um, they, they put them in swimsuits for no reason. They have a, they actually made a Cornholio plush over there. No other country thought to do that. It's kind of strange. And they made two. And not only did they make Cornholio plushes, the one goes over a box of tissues and you pull the tissues through Beavis's mouth. Right. The other is a toilet paper roll holder. Like Japan fucking knocks it out of the ballpark. I'm like spending my whole life collecting this show. And I can't tell you how many things I have that just have Beavis and Butt head banging on it. Right. Just the same right. shit over and over again. And then you find out one day that almost 20 years ago, Japan released everything that you've dreamt about. So you've been collecting ma- mainly that Japanese stuff. The past two years, I've been collecting just the Japanese stuff. And I think, I, yeah, I got it all. Yeah, I got it. That's part of your yeah. thing. You want to collect things that are look br- brand new and still have the tags, right? That's like the dopest. 
because the collection is more or less becoming complete lately, that is what it's turned into now. If something pops up in better condition. Right. How much total gross have you spent on your Beavis and Bud collection? 5,000? That's way too little, dude. I've ruined my life over the 50,000? God, probably. Fucking shit, man. <laughs> I, I, in, in 2013, I started the 8-track label, and it started making me really good money. Okay. And I was just like, you know what? Let's let's do it. And yeah. I Could you deduct these as business expenses? Fuck no. Well, you could now probably because no. part of your brand is this, your Instagram brand as an influencer. No, but I'm saying like if you- God were, damn it. Everyone keeps saying that. I had to Google that yeah. like last week. Like, what is that? <laughs> the marketing through the Beavis and Butthead went into like you giving us content to talk about to promote your other brand. I'm just saying if you have a, like an LLC or a company, you could deduct this stuff. I don't know, man. I'm not like responsible. I'm just fortunate. <laughs> I went out and I, I did the meanest noise thing that I could and I tried to make no one like it. And then ironically they did. And then the label took off because of that. And then I yeah. bought everything I ever wished I could have had. And now I'm just kind of sitting here. I don't know. I'm, I've never thought like too hard into like um, any responsible, like people ask if I have like uh, insurance. Right. Uh, no, no, I don't. Um, also, if everything goes up in a fire, Half of this shit is one of a kind. I can't get it back anyways. So, I mean, I guess I did make like a few dollars on those shirts. I think I made like $2 on each one. That's what's up. How um, many do you sell, you think? Close to 200 which which is, wow, that's so cool to think people are wearing that. That's tight. Yeah. What were those figures that came out? Like they were, you were posting about it. They were, oh, um, the reaction, like, oh, Dude, I was going ham on those, wasn't I? You didn't like those. You could tell I was a bitch when that happened. I was like, these don't look these don't look good enough. These are stupid. You guys are dumb. Yeah, I was going off, man. Japan released some new fit figures last year. They're about maybe like an inch and a half, maybe just an inch. And they were in coin machines over there. Cool. Which just another testament to how fucking awesome Japan is with Beavis and Butthead. And they were like some of the best sculpts I've ever seen of the boys. And I have every figure ever made. And they just knocked it out of the ballpark. And they're making them really small. Actually, they're probably like two and a half, three inches big. Yeah. Um, and then Super 7 comes out last year, and they're like, oh, you know, we got the license to Beavis and Butthead. Here's what we got going, and they show them, and it's like, it looks like Wallace and Gromit. Um, God, they're just so bad, and it's just, uh, it doesn't really matter. And once I got them in, and amongst like a thousand or so other Beavis and Butthead items. They just blend in nicely and everything. Right. But I just love those characters and I don't want some asshole company who doesn't really love the product to get a hold of it. It just bothers me. You think they're just cashing in on millennial nostalgia? Absolutely. It's right. another person who's like, hey, Hank Hill, he was on Beavis and Butthead for uh, GP for my butthole. I'm sorry. I'm sounding like an elitist. Yeah. But... I would rather true fans get the licensing rights and put out real merchandise. I mean, for all I know, the people in Japan 20 years ago weren't even fans, but they fucking cared enough to figure out what people would like. Right. To, and it took 20 years for the one person who cared to find it. But um, I don't know. That, that that was just a farted out project from Super 7. You're saying that a lot of the VHSs were released internationally, right? And not in the yeah. U.S.? Do they play in U.S.? Uh, no. So you had to 
convert no. them or how did how have people done that? No, I, I didn't even bother. You'd have to get a universal VCR, which is about still $700 Ooh. these days. Right. Um, I just found out last year that all of them, but uh, six or seven did get released in Japan, uh, which oh. was like, oh my God, they got released in Japan, which that's awesome because those will play in our VCR. But they're so, dubbed in Japanese or do they have Japanese subtitles? They are not dubbed. They are just subtitles. Oh, that's cool. I do have a, I do have some Japanese figures that are actually in the other language, though. It's pretty sweet. That's dope. Have you ever heard it dubbed in another language, or is it always subtitled? Always subtitled. Virtual Stupidity, right. the PC game that we got in the 90s, was released on PlayStation 1 in Japan. And if you ever played that game, you know, it's like a, a point-and-click, find-the-item, using-the-right-spot type game which was big with PC games back then. Yeah. Like there's so much voice acting in that. That has got to be the most they were ever dubbed in another language. Cause it's just endless talking throughout that whole game. So you're saying that they couldn't have done subtitles in other languages. I've talked to a lot of fans from other countries now, and it's interesting to hear how little it translates from what I get from everyone in Taiwan and Japan. The reason that Beavis and Butthead is more iconic there nowadays to 90s culture than it is to us is because Beavis and Butthead, as a character, embody the ugly, white, perverted American teenager. (laughs) And so the surface joke is there enough for them to like it and get it. To get it, right. But like things like Dillweed, Fart Knocker, Bunghole, Ass Munch, it doesn't translate into almost any other language. In fact, I think in Sweden, I talked to a guy and he said that over there, Beavis and Butthead was considered really bad because they just call each other fucker and stuff like that in Swedish, more or less. So it's more foul. It was. And in my opinion, that ruins the show. Right, right, right. Because I like that Beavis and Butthead isn't first season South Park. Um, Right. I like that even when like, you know, like a word like vagina comes up, they'll kind of, you know, they, they, they can't even get it out. They start laughing, you know. Is the movie PG-13 or PG? I imagine it's PG-13. PG-13. But not R. They could have really played up the foulness, but that would have been off-brand, I guess. I think it would have been off-brand. If it would have came from anyone else in the movie, it wouldn't have been the two boys because they really don't, they don't do that. I remember reading about this canceled 1996 arcade game but what do you know about this canceled arcade game and like the leaking of it so they made nine or 12 each one i believe is a 3do does that make any sense to you yeah yeah yes okay and let's just say there were nine of them each one is a little less or more completed than the next so oh, that's wow. not even it's not even the same one on each one. Um, they it was actually made I think it was Sega and Atari, something like that. Anyways, it got canceled, it was never finished, and the prototypes were contest prizes for like mtv.com in 1996 or something like that. It was definitely online or something because I wasn't on the internet back then. I didn't see it. There's very little documentation about it, just enough to pretty much prove what I'm saying right now. Right. Um, All of the cabinets share the same art, but some lack more than others. They're all in different shapes. Uh, Galloping Ghost Arcade, that's the name of it. 
they scored one. They've got it. You can go there. You can play it. Plan on making a trip out there someday. Would love to. And nobody can rip it. Something about it being a 3DO, uh, they can't. There's no way to emulate it. Now they may be lying, but I don't think they are. There's maybe you know more about this subject than me when it comes to emulation and all that stuff. But it seems there's something with this one that makes it borderline impossible. So if the hardware fails, it's gone. It's freaking gone, dude. But there's wait, wait. But you said there's ten of them, right? Because there's probably one out there that only has one stage, whereas this one has four. And then it has a fifth one that you can see, but it won't let you go to. You know, on like the level selecting. Like it was a promotional thing, but what stopped it from being like? made commercial did you explain that i'm trying to figure that out um they just gave up on it i actually talked to the to one of the, to one of the guys who made the game a few years ago are you serious yeah <laughs> I, i'm trying to think of the, the the tidbits of information he gave me that were interesting because uh, i was mostly like why would you use sound clips from such obscure episodes like this one you know and, um and Cornholio is in it, but also Butthead can go into Cornholio mode. And I remember him saying something to the extent of the Cornholio episode had just aired and he had a feeling that it was going to be iconic to the show. So it was the last thing he added right. before it was just canceled. Um, uh, and he, he didn't have too good of an answer as to why it was canceled. It was just, they just, everyone gave up on it and we're like, yeah, just stop. You know, type deal. This so you're saying it was also came out toward the ends of the show's run, right? That was it was starting towards the beginning. It was quite a long project, he said. Right, 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 right. Um, because some of the some of the audio clips are from the first uh, episode, not Frog Baseball, but the first episode uh, for the series. The arcade. There's probably like people come from around the world to play it. I'm sure there's like a line to play it if it's the one of a kind playable, right? Well, apparently Galloping Ghost Arcade is that general. Like, they have a lot of prototypes that never came out. So if you're just, like, into arcade games, this place, I guess, is your heaven. You're going to play a bunch of games that never came out in general. That's tight. If it were to be hurt... In my heart, I believe that they have already emulated it and have preserved it, and they're not releasing it. Um, Because I... If they care so much about preserving it, but not letting it get out there, I, I would understand. Um, because like you said, if something happens to that arcade and it's gone, then these guys are assholes for letting that happen if they could have stopped it. It's a piece of history. Piece of pop exactly. culture history. Um, and these guys apparently care about that stuff. So I'm guessing they probably figured it out, but aren't releasing it. What is the value you think of it? It's probably priceless, right? The actual game. You would think. Um, I had one pop up not long ago for about three grand. Really? Which is, yeah, which don't get me wrong. I don't just have three grand on me. Right. Um, and I had so many people being like, why don't you start a GoFundMe? You know, people would totally help you buy this. And I don't I don't feel right about that stuff at all. Uh, so, so I didn't even bother. Yeah, I have couple hundred thousand dollars and views about it shit and i need a few more thousand <laughs> fuck you dude like no <laughs> hundred thousand i don't fucking know um do you ever have dreams that you've like come across a room or a store like a vintage store and there's a whole there's beavis and Bud stuff you didn't know existed because i got dr- 
dreams about Roger Rabbit stuff like that. And like rare Weird Al albums or something. That, that's why that Japan story, figuring it all that out is such a big like uh, <laughs> moment for me because that's, I remember the day after, like I found out all that stuff. I started finding all these pictures. Be like, oh my God, they made this. Oh my God, they made this. I remember waking up the next day and- Thinking it was a dream? thinking yesterday was a dream and then being like, Oh my God, this is the first time where I've woken up and it really did happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've gone to like flea markets in my dreams and just been like a Cornholio Pez dispenser. I didn't even know they made it, which still doesn't exist. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's tight. How about this one, Lars, you ever fallen in love with someone in your dream who you don't even know and you wake up and you're like, Oh my God, I miss them. Well, I'm, now that I'm married, I don't really have that dream. But when I was single, I would. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking that. Yeah, I was young. Yeah. Right, when I had, but yeah, I remember waking up and it's like you're like, oh, I miss them, and then you're like, wait, that that person doesn't even exist. I can't even picture what they looked like. <laughs> There's like this longing that, like, I, I, you. Yeah, there was so much passion in that dream. <laughs> you know about like this the story of Plato's allegory of the cave. Have you heard of this old Greek? No, t- tell me. Okay, so the idea that. Plato talks about how this is how he sees reality. And it, it, I think this will relate to Beavis and Butthead. He believes that all reality is we're looking at a wall in a cave and there's a fireplace and people are doing like finger puppets that reflect on the wall. So the shadows we see are what we see as reality. But real, real reality is the hands and the puppets that make up these things, right? So Plato's idea is that certain people step away from the fire and realize that this is all going on. And what I think is interesting about Beavis and Butthead is that they both they both show like like especially in their how they see the world through pop culture. They see the shadows, but the camera also turns and reveals that we are the people looking at the shadows. And I think that's like a why Beavis and Butthead is so timeless. And I think like the merchandise, the the different cultural representations, it resonates with us because it's how we consume and relate to popular culture. And I think that's, yeah, I've always thought about that. I wonder if you've ever thought about that or if that sounds crazy to you. No, not at all. It's actually, it gets beautiful. <laughs> Usually I'm the one making the big metaphors about Beavis <laughs> at the end. Oh, that, that, I, I like that a lot. I do. Um, they are idiot savants in their own way. I, I think they are a lot more smart than uh, what is let on in the characters. Right. Um, but also, they're also the same. They're, they're the type of characters that no matter how smart they get, they would always think that somebody who is smart is an asshole for being smart. <laughs> what do you think is the smartest thing Beavis has ever said? And by the way, I, people who are listening at home, Sean has not read any of this trivia. It's all from memory, like naming episodes. It's not like he has. I've been looking on like the Instagram and Wikipedia <laughs> just to like just to make sure I can keep up with you. But your memory is, is incredible. Just wanted to say that. <laughs> I think the the smartest thing Beavis has ever said, it always makes me cry. Um, the, the Christmas episode, you remember where um, uh, it's uh, it's not a wonderful life. It's the Scrooge story. Okay. And Beavis is Scrooge in it. And um, he's the manager at Burger World in his, in his dream. And uh, Mick Vicker is working under him, his school principal. And, uh, Beavis goes home early to watch some porno on Christmas and like the ghost of Christmas past, you know, but it's all like Tom Anderson and Ben Jerison and Buzzcut. And they more or less show him how his ways are, you know, making it so his coworkers are starving and their kids are going to starve and all this stuff. And then at the end, Buzzcut shows him his tombstone 
which says, here lies Beavis, he never scored, <laughs> and k- kicks him into his grave, his open grave. And Beavis is sitting there, and he's just about to have the epiphany that maybe he should change his ways, maybe he should be a better person. And as it fades out, Butthead is waking him up at work, and, uh, you know, because it's his turn to sleep at work. And, right. um, <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, I just had this dream and uh, about the future. And, you know, the future, it's going to be all right because I'm going to have some uh, I'm going to have a VCR and some porn. (laughs) And uh, and then it pans out and it shows that they were working on Christmas Eve the whole time. And uh, it always makes me cry. But there there is something very beautiful because one of the 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 formulas of Beavis and Butt is that they never learn a lesson. Right. And I like how the lesson that he garnished from all that was that he has low expectations. <laughs> right, but that they're content about that. So therefore, if I grow up to have a VCR that I can play some porn in, I'm going to be doing pretty good, man. That's like that's like the Generation X bleakness. Not even because uh, it all goes back to that guy, Ronnie, who had nothing but a couch and a TV and some porn, and he's like 30 years older than us. So. Right. <laughs> That's true. The boomers. <laughs> so in a way, that quote resonates with the guy who showed me being disappointed <laughs> when I was six. <laughs> it turned out okay. Um, it all turned out okay, man. <laughs> check out the Beavis and Butthead Collector on Instagram and seanbeard.threadless.com for his proprietary merch and his music. And to join the Beavis and Butthead fan group, is there like trivia you need to know? I forget. No, dude. Uh, okay. No. It's called Beavis and Butthead MySpace Fan Club. Is that what it's Beavis called? and Butthead do MySpace. Do MySpace. I was close. Yeah. That's right. Um, <laughs> I want to know if you want to plug anything else before we end. And if there's a song you want to hear at the end, let's maybe play one of your tracks. That would be awesome. They're, they're on Bandcamp, wavescrashingpianochords.bandcamp.com. That's what's up. Play the material from the Farting Corpse split. I like you better. Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Anything else you want to plug before we play that? I really appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm a fan of yours. Uh, yeah, talking talking with you is awesome. Anyone who just thank you to anyone who really cares about the things I do because it's just me being me, and um, it just really means a lot to know that people out there share the same passion for my two favorite cartoon characters with me. Because growing up, I didn't have people to talk about this with, and now I do. And I just appreciate everyone who cares, man. Does it feel kind of like, have you ever seen the movie Ready Player One? I've seen clips of it because Chucky's in it. It's basically this guy who's an archivist of the 80s who uses it to like make sense of the world that he lives in. And he, the plot involves him using his 80s knowledge. I feel like maybe it's a similar story with you. Your love of this 90s culture is helping you. I don't know. It's It's been like it's guiding you. It's connecting you with people. It's It's... It's It's really weird, man. And we could go on for like another hour into this. I won't waste your time. But I mean, when I was a kid, the teachers were so worried that my parents let me watch this show that um, they forced my parents to make me go to therapy. Um, I there is a lot of shit that came from me loving this show as a kid. I was uh, really um, ostracized by my small town for it, for reasons like that. Just and so to be in my 30s. And have Mike Judge get a hold of me, you know, and, <laughs> um, you know, be talking to you and uh, stuff like that. It's uh, it's complete polar opposite from that is tight. 
my childhood. So it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's really beautiful full circle for me. So when I, when I say I appreciate it, I, I really, really do. And I really love everyone who cares. Next time I come through, you should cut. I'll put you on the guest list if you want to come, come out. Absolutely. The only reason I didn't last time is because all the emergency room bullshit, because, but I would have loved to have been there, man. We'll definitely chill sometime. That sounds tight. I'd love to see your at, get a tour of your museum there. You come on out, man. I got a guest list. I'd love to have your signature on it. That'll be tight. Um, Hell yeah. Thank you, Sean. All right. Well, so we'll play your song and we'll keep it moving. All right. Much love, brother. Thanks, bro. I've ever had a song like ended with a noise song so thank you for listening <laughs> through that sean thank you that was beautiful he sent me the vinyl of that he sent me some cool merch he has a cool south park beavis and butthead logo mashup he's a generous creative wonderful guy and i really enjoyed talking to him next week we got just rhyme just rhyme you may have recognized he was on the white rapper show on vh1 back in the day he's a professor dr jeb middlebrook 
Um, he got his PhD at USC and he's a dear friend of mine. We used to freestyle a lot when I lived in LA. He was at my wedding. He always comes to my shows with his daughter and he's a great dude. He's in real estate now. Um, but he's Dr. Dr. Jeb Middlebrook. So we talk a lot about activism and community. We recorded that at the beginning of the COVID stuff. And, uh, I love that guy. So tune in next week for Just Rhyme. And thank y'all for tuning in. And I appreciate y'all. Oh, and by the way, Sam C. Lars. All right. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. And no, COVID is not over yet, man. So stay safe and don't be stupid, okay? We're going to get through this. We're going to stay positive And we're going to watch Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Bye.